Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see all of you, and I extend my hello to the Forest Grove Atrium Congregation. Wow, just taking you all in. Balcony people, too. Great to see you here. Hello, I saw that wave, and thank you for that. Well, since I'm new to many of you, um, let me just say a few introductory things about myself, so if you can have a little bit of an idea of who this person is that's speaking up here. Uh, my name is Don Fraze. Um, I'm married to Una, and we have four young adult children, and we have lived in Saskatoon most of our life, and I have been a pastor for most of my adult years. In fact, I started here at Forest Grove way back in 1988 as the youth pastor and had some great years serving there. I came back in the role of young adults and worship pastor and then had the distinct privilege of being here when we as Forest Grove launched our multi-site strategy, and I was the first pastor of the gathering at Broadway. So I've had a lot of years around uh, this congregation, and it is just wonderful to, yeah, see so many of you that I've known from the past. I just love the people that make up this congregation, and again, I'm just really excited um, to see all the people I don't know because it says the church is growing, and that's an awesome thing too. So yeah, so I also have the privilege today of kicking off this new series. So you can see the beautiful backdrop behind me that we're going to be looking at a small letter in the New Testament called James. And we've chosen the title Big Faith as um, our topic for the whole series. So let me first just talk a little bit about big faith. And my question is, why big faith? Now here's what I hope you don't hear. I hope you don't hear You know, the person in authority that's got the wagging finger going, come on, you unspiritual, faithless people, have big faith. Okay, please don't hear it that way. Can I ask you instead throughout this series to imagine Jesus, however you would imagine Jesus, with outstretched hands, with an invitation saying, come to me and I will be the one that will expand your world, will expand your faith. I want to enlarge your faith because I love you and I invite you on that journey. So I hope you will remember that each week as you hear Big Faith. And if you get time later today or this week to read the book of the book of James, I encourage you to do so. It is just full of all kinds of issues, some of them hard-hitting, some of them a little controversial. And as we go through this little letter, we'll have lots of opportunities to expand our faith because there will be things that will be going wow to and things that will be going, I'm not sure how to understand that. And again, I hope we can have that kind of a journey together. So God bless you as you go on the journey towards big faith. And I pray that uh, as we begin the book today, he will have something unique to say to us. So today's message, going to the next slide, is called Wisdom Through Trials. Now, when I read this, these opening verses... Kevin referred to them a little bit already. I was right away struck with, oh, wow. I get to speak on this, and this is hard to speak on because this is such a loaded area. When, I, when, I, when you see that title, Wisdom Through Trials, here is me, a white, western, rich leader, and I'm supposed to address all of you about trials? What do I know about trials in reality? And 
So the reason I put this little quote up here is that I want you to hear today that the words I'm going to speak, hopefully, don't just come from Don. That would be tragic. But what I want to encourage you with is I hope that I can be speaking from this little letter called James and from James's perspective from 2,000 years ago when he was someone who lived among and wrote to persons who knew poverty and hardship unimaginable to us. So just hear that perspective. The perspective is coming from 2,000 years ago when a godly man was writing a letter to the churches when all of the people that he would have, well, I shouldn't say all, the vast majority, 90% or more, would have seen themselves as the people of poverty. They would have seen themselves as people living with persecution, living with hardship, living with trials that, that most of us couldn't imagine. So I just want you to know that's the context. However, the other context I want you to hear is that there's many of you in this room today and the stuff you're going through in your life is really, really difficult. The, and I don't want you to hear in any way a quick or trite answer to the challenges and the trials that you face. I'm aware that some of you today may be thinking of people around the world who live in unbelievable situations of injustice. And when you think of them and you hear, oh, we gain wisdom through trials, isn't that great? that that sounds pretty trite to them too. And so again, I want us to approach this subject humbly, but understanding that James wants to give us a God perspective. Not a human perspective, a God perspective, and I hope to portray his words for us to figure this out. How can we gain God's wisdom and God's perspective as we deal with the trials in our life and even when we think of the trials or the injustices of people that we know around the world? So, from there, that's where we start. So, um, James chapter 1, verse 1, is basically James introducing himself and letting everyone know who he's writing his letters to, and we can be included in that, so it's, we're all good to go. So, I'll, I'll encourage you, if you want to follow along, all the scriptures will be up here, but if you have a Bible or you use a phone, we'll be in James chapter 1. So, let's begin reading at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters... Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, and especially when I see consider it pure joy, my first reaction is, you got to be kidding me. Like, come on, like, Consider it joy when you have trials. Well, may pure joy? Like, it actually sounds to me like a ridiculous comment. And so when I think about it, what comes to mind for me is what I would call um, the fakey Christian-y way to be, or the fakey Christian smile, right? Where basically it's like, oh, let me tell you about my week. So I lost my job, and a good friend of mine was diagnosed with a serious disease. Oh, and then a truck hit my dog but it doesn't matter because I have the joy of the Lord. Praise Jesus. I'm considering it pure joy. Like, doesn't that just sound ridiculous? Sadly, there's lots of people in our culture that kind of think that's a Christian-y way to be. It's those plastic smile people that um, pretend and fake that everything's okay when it's not. And it's ridiculous, right? 
Let me just say that I hope I'm dead wrong. And, and I don't think that James, especially in the people he's writing to, is saying, you know, let's put on plastic christian smiles for all the real struggles and trials. I don't think he's saying that at all. Again, he is speaking in context to people who understood poverty, who understood persecution, who understood all kinds of economic and social um, problems and just being trod, downtrodden people. They, they understood that. And so just know that that's the perspective and not the fakey smile Christian, okay? So now, trying to get past that, then we keep reading, and in some ways it doesn't get a lot better right away because it's like, oh, no, sorry, go back. <laughs> when he says, um, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. Wow. So, James is trying to say that there's something deeper to the joy he's talking about. It's not just surfacy happiness, but there's some kind of supernatural joy that comes from God. And if we begin to understand that a little bit, James is telling us, we'll begin to understand that there's purpose behind it. Yes, it's painful, and yes, we hate it at the time, but there's purpose behind these trials. So let's just stop and talk a little bit about um, what kind of trials he's actually referring to. I've, I've mentioned this a little bit, but the Greek word that is translated here, trials, could also be translated temptations. And so maybe some of your Bibles say that. Now, temptations is more the inner struggle we have. And sometimes that inner struggle with our own nature and our own, uh, our own evil desires or whatever is we're struggling with inside, sometimes those can be so deep and so severe that they do feel like trials. And so I think those can be in the mix. But I think the better understanding of where James is going here, especially when it says trials of many kinds, he is specifically referring to external things that happen to us. The unpleasant and unexpected events of life that happen to us and around us. So that, that is the full context of, of what he's talking about here. So what are the source of the trials? Now, by inference, there are other realities here that he doesn't state, but that would have been an understand, the readers would have understood. They would have understand that as followers of Jesus, we are spiritual beings, and so therefore there is a spiritual battle. There is a very real enemy called Satan that does oppose um, those who want to follow Jesus. And so there is, there is sort of a behind-the-scenes understanding that that's one source of the trials. But the main source of the trials that James is talking about here is just the pure reality that we as human beings live on planet Earth. And when you live on planet Earth, there are natural disasters, and there are all kinds of horrible diseases and things that can happen. And how, where, and why they happen is inexplainable, but they just do because we live on this planet. And then beyond that, this planet is filled with human beings. And yes, God, I believe, created us in our humanity, but when he created us, he gave us free choice. And so because humanity has always had free choice, humanity can choose good, but they can also choose evil. They can also choose to exploit. They can choose injustice. They can choose greed. They can choose all of those things, and those decisions 
create horrible hardships and trials for many other people, and the mix of yuck goes on for centuries, right? That's the reality of the world we live in. And so what James is basically saying, you live on planet Earth, you are poor, you are followers of Jesus, this new radical religion that's being persecuted, that's, guess what? Life is going to be full of trials. That's not a, will you choose them or not? It'll be, no, you will have them. Jesus did say, in this world, you will have trouble. It's an is situation, and so that's what James is referring to. That's, that's the source. So now, James is trying to give us some hope, and maybe even beyond hope, he's trying to give us perspective. How can we get a God perspective by the fact that we have to live in this messed up world with all the messed up stuff we live with? And what he comes down to is a God perspective is going to help us to understand that God has purpose in building our character, in developing our maturity, and that that is so important to God. What's so important to God is that he loves us so much that he actually wants our character to develop. He wants us to become people of character, mature people, so that we can live and make some sense within the hurts and pains and trials of this world. So that's, that's where he's trying to move us. He's trying to move us into purpose, and he's trying to move us to a place called maturity. Now, what's difficult about getting to maturity is there, you, some of you saw that word in there about being complete. Maybe some of your translations say perfect. Now, as soon as I read perfect, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm, it's, I'm ready to give up already, because who can be perfect, right? And I think if perfect or complete here, or maturity means, you know, some kind of sinless perfection, I don't think that's what James is talking about. I believe he's talking about a process towards maturity, and a process that includes the wisdom of God, that includes us slowly learning and getting more and more of God's wisdom and perspective so that we can handle how we are walking through life to get to this goal of maturity. So I encourage you, as you struggle with all of this, to know God's heart in this of where he's wanting to take you. And I think that's what James is saying to these people. It's not a, what's wrong with you? You should be perfect. That's not the tone. The tone is, God's heart for you is character and maturity, to develop perseverance and endurance in you so that you can find a way to manage and deal with these trials in our life. And if you can even start to get there, perhaps we can get back to that what seems ridiculous part of pure joy. Because I guess with a God perspective, that's actually possible. So with that, let's uh, keep reading and see what James says about wisdom. Now the next verse, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Isn't that an awesome verse? I absolutely love this verse. If you could, like, pull it out of context and just make this your stick-to-the-refrigerator verse, or I don't know if anyone does that anymore, but isn't it awesome to know that we have such a generous, non-judgmental God that he would say, if you need wisdom, ask, and it's my desire to give it to you. I think that's really awesome news. Um, the message translation puts it this way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray. A lot of you felt that way at times in your life. 
I've prayed this prayer so many times. There's the only one in the room that has many moments in life of feeling like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Like, God, if you don't show up, please help. Now, this can happen in so many arenas of our life, right? So for me, being new now to Forest Grove, um, so it's been three weeks now, and I confess that in my journey of transition into a new job and a new position, I've been on a steep learning curve, and there's a lot of times I've been feeling really stupid and out of the loop on things, and so you bet I've been praying, God, give me wisdom. I don't know what I'm doing. Give me wisdom. Maybe many of you have prayed that prayer in different transitions in your life. When I thought about that, I also thought in my family. So uh, my wife is a nurse, and I've got two daughters that are nurses, so I should be well taken care of in my old age, I'm thinking. But anyway, they, uh, two of them work in the new children's hospital. And so I've heard them both tell many, many stories of the challenge of that transition, both from their role as nurses, but there's probably people in this room who are uh, physicians, there's probably people in this room who are involved in the administrative side of all of that, but it was a huge project. And I just can't imagine the enormity of all the work that went involved in that. So again, I was thinking of them and their stories when I thought of, wow, isn't it great that, that God says, if you're lacking wisdom, you can pray and I'll give that to you as a gift. So a little bit of encouragement. I don't know where you're at, what transitions are happening in your life, what big decisions you're making, what things you're struggling with. Your God says, if you lack wisdom, it's my desire to give it to you. So now, back from that really great point, we have to kind of bring this back, though, into context. And so why is James talking about us needing wisdom when we're thinking about the trials in our lives? Um, I thought maybe this, this quote would help. This is from David Nystrom. He says, Heavenly wisdom grants to those who suffer the ability to make sense of life's injustices and difficulties, or failing understanding, still to have trust in God. Now, I don't know what you think of that quote, but what I love about it is there's the acknowledgement that the purpose of God wanting to give us wisdom is to act, it's coming, really coming out of his compassion for us to say, you know what? In the natural you, there's no way you can consider it pure joy that you face trials. Even if you sort of understand that God is testing us and developing perseverance in us, well, that's kind of good too. But still, why? You know, the pain that comes from us. But James is acknowledging that there's a supernatural component here. And heavenly wisdom, wisdom given from God, begins us on the process of trying to make sense. And yet what I love is, or failing. So I just want to say to some of you, if you are in the middle of something that is so painful, or you're thinking of someone in your life where something so unjust is happening to them that you can hardly pray right now because you feel so much anger and angst about it, that you may not be ready to say, okay, God, give me wisdom to help me understand. But I think God's heart again would still be, or even if you don't, that God is saying, I still love you. I'm still here. Bring this to me. Please bring this to me. And I hope you hear that from the Spirit and not me as, as you consider this. So that's the purpose of wisdom that he's talking about. 
Okay, so brace yourself. That was th this is the nice verse. These next ones are going to seem harsh. Okay, here they are. Verses 6 to 8. But when you ask, for wisdom, of course, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Wow. What do we do with this verse? So here God is saying, I'll give you wisdom to help you make sense of these incredible difficult trials in your life. However, warning, if you ask, have faith in God and don't become this wavering, unstable person that isn't, that's saying you want God to help you, but then you're trying to figure it out on your own. Now, what might be helpful is, and I, I, um, I want to show you this from the message. And Eugene Peterson writes this. It's a translation, but it's a little bit of his spin on it. But I, this was helpful for me. He said, ask boldly for wisdom. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. So when I read this, I just really, I said, okay, Lord, show me. Like, where, where am I worrying my prayers? Am I coming to you and saying, Lord, show me, give me wisdom? And then it's like, well, God, well, well, while I'm waiting for you to figure it out, let me see if I can figure this out. And basically, I am still worrying away my prayers, thinking I've got to find another way to figure this out. And I think what James is warning us here is that if we're trying to keep all our other options open and, and, and worrying our prayers about all of this, are we really trusting the God that we're saying, please give me wisdom? I'm asking you for wisdom, God. So I think James is saying to us, yes, ask, but don't waver. If you're going to put your trust in God, then say, God, I'm willing to wait for your timing and your way to figure this out. Even if my wisdom says, maybe I can come up with another option here, another solution here, God is saying, no, wait. If you're going to ask for wisdom, don't waver. Trust me, so hard to do. So when I thought about that, I thought, okay, God, well, what about honest doubt? Is there not room for honest doubt? Is all doubt not good? Now, all through Scripture, and especially in a large poetic book in the middle of the Old Testament called Psalms, a beautiful book with so many heartfelt, honest prayers. But many of those Psalms, the person writing them, they are just crying out to God with doubt crying out to God with pain, crying out to God with all of the questions about the whys of injustice, and there's beautiful prayers in there. It's very clear that God is totally good with honest doubt. So let's bring our honest doubt to him, but not the kind of doubt that leads, again, to not trusting and trying to figure out out ourselves. That's the wavering that I think James is talking about. And I pray the, the Lord will give you, give you more wisdom on that. Let me just read you a quote about this from an author named Kathleen Norris. She says, Our faith has an earthy honesty, 
that allows us to pierce through the lie of false spirituality and holy talk to see that we must be honest about our human frailty before we are holy, not the other way around. I'll just let you think on that a little bit. All right, so abrupt turn. James will kind of do this. You'll notice through the series, he seems like we're talking about this, and now we're talking about this. Maybe you know people in your life that that's what conversations with them are like. Well, it kind of feels that way sometime in James. So next verses. He says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade even while they go about their business. So why is James all of a sudden talking about rich and poor and that the poor are honored? And I think he's trying to bring us back to where we started, which is the whole idea that Christian teaching and the teaching of Jesus was, guess what? Blessed are the poor. See, that's absolute radical teaching for that day. See, the, under, the ancients understood it this way. If God was blessing you, then you were rich. And if God was not blessing you or cursing you, then you were poor. That was sort of the base understanding, right? So, when Jesus is with his disciples, and he says, it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. They look at him and they scratch, like, what are you talking about? The rich are the ones, and then Jesus says his famous line, he says, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then their minds are blown, right? Because again, in their perspective, the blessing of God meant things must be going well and that you're wealthy and rich. And this was blowing their world upside down. So what we kind of need to understand here is that what James is teaching is a radical Christian worldview that is so different than the Greek culture they're in or the Roman culture they're in. This is a whole different way of thinking, that actually it's the poor that are favored, and actually it's through the trials and the poverty of the poor that actually leads to hope and godliness. That makes no sense to them at all. Now here's my question for all of us. Do we not default to a similar thinking? Do we not live our lives basically going, if things are going well, then God must be happy with us and blessing us. If things aren't going well and we've got trials and hardships and yucky stuff going on in our life, then God's probably mad at us and, or we've done something wrong and he's punishing us. And we, we rarely say that out loud because most of us have an internal sort of pastor voice or whatever you want to call it that, you know, gives us the pat answers. But you know what? I think we live that way. I think we live with that same default reality. And so if we're going to understand where James is coming from, he's saying, no, actually, if you get a God perspective, that's turned upside down. Um, just go to the next quote here. Um, this is just from a commentary. They said, in the ancient world, more than 90% of the population qualified as poor. The few who had wealth exercised power over the many who did not. So again, I want you to understand 
by far the majority of the people reading these words from James self-identify as poor. And so this is an encouragement to them. That in the, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of an upside-down kingdom where the poor are blessed and honored by God. And it's part of what James is trying to say to them to give them hope, to help them make some sense of the difficulties and the trials that they're going through. Doesn't solve it, doesn't give them easy answers, but it's again, it's more training and teaching along the way to give them hope and for them to understand their status before God. So, the final verse for this morning. Verse 12. Next slide. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, can I encourage you? Let this verse sink in now with all the context you have of who the people are that are reading this, their state of life. And what is God saying to you? Out of his love for you, blessed are you who perseveres. Because having stood the test, you'll receive the crown of life. So what's the crown of life? Well, Ultimately, the crown of life is our salvation. It's the promise that this life is not all that there is. As Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But then Jesus said, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Because see, the promise of Jesus was to give us this crown of life. As we mature through life, through all the trials, there's this hope in the crown of life, which is, Everlasting life and a new earth and a new heaven created by God. That was the ultimate hope they lived for. Now, perhaps to some, maybe that sounds a little bit depressing because it's kind of like, so Christianity teaches that life's just really hard and then when we die, it'll be good. Is that what I'm saying? I hope not, but I can understand if it feels that way. I think the hope that James is trying to give us here is and, and what would have been for these early Christians, their hope in eternal life and heaven and a new earth that God would fix all the injustices in, they put great hope in that so that they could endure the trials of their unjust world. And yet, you know what? Within their spiritual community, what was to become called the church, that was supposed to be the place where they could come together with other sojourners living through the trials of life, and say, hey, we can't fix all these trials, but you know what? We can support each other in them. We can help each other through them. And can I encourage us? That's why we need the church. Because we need the hope of having others that can come around us. Because, yeah, we face some horrible things. I can imagine some of you in this room today, some of the things that you're facing and people that you love, Hear the words of James and of Scripture and ask the Lord for wisdom. A supernatural wisdom is really the only way that we can move forward in, in this difficult area. So I'll ask, ask the worship team to come. All right, as they do, my, my final quote here. 
When I'm overwhelmed by a, by a topic or a subject from Scripture and feel like my wisdom is so lacking in giving a word from the Lord, I, I tend to then sometimes go to smart people. So A.W. Tozer, never heard of him. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Scholar, theologian, someone way, way smarter than me. He said this, Instead of straining to comprehend this as a theological truth, it would be simpler or better and simpler to compare God's grace with our need. We may never know the enormity, but what we can know is that where sin abounded, grace did abound much more. There's lots and lots of messiness in the trials of our lives and in people around us. God's message is, is his grace is still greater, even when we don't understand it. So as we respond today, through worship, and then later you'll have opportunity to come for prayer and have people pray for you for perhaps some of the trials you're dealing with. Um, please remember, your trials matter to God. Don't compare even to the people 2,000 years ago or to people you know who have it way worse off than you. Don't, don't compare. Don't be shamed. God cares about you and your trials. Come to him. Come to him for the wisdom to be able to grow in perspective so that perhaps we can come to maturity in a place where we can, can consider it joy because we know what God's up to and we know that he's sovereign. You see, big faith is trust in the mystery and the grace and the love of our big God. Put your hope in him.